Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Carrie Adloyd. And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much. About the too much that we've read. Which is why we've created The The Weirdos Weirdos Book Club. Join us. A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram at Sarah and Carrie Ads Weirdos Book Club for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along and share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank Thank you for reading with us. We We like reading with you. This week's book guest is Stillborn by Guadalupe Natel. What's it about? It follows two friends, Laura and Alina, both living in Mexico City, and their journeys to become mothers or not. What qualifies it for the Weirdos Book Club? Well, Laura presents a point of view that is not often discussed, a woman choosing not to have children. Laura reflects on what it is to be a mother without biologically becoming one. In this episode, we discuss fertility, choice, age, pigeons, parenting, loud neighbours, cliches and stereotypes. And joining us this week is Emma Gannon. Emma is a Sunday Times best-selling non-fiction author, an award-winning novelist, podcaster and journalist. She's written six books, including Olive, which also looks in-depth at a woman's choice to remain childless. Trigger warning, in this episode, we discuss child loss, fertility and babies who are very sick. Thank you, Emma, for joining us. Hey. Very, very excited to have you to talk about Stillborn by Guadalupe Nettel. I'm, I won't say it like that the whole way through. Lovely. It's a great name, isn't it? The whole way through, I kept thinking, wow, the translator for this. How talented. Oh, yeah. it's really it is, brilliant I think it's worth mentioning, uh, what's her name? Rosalind Harvey. And it was nominated, the English translation was nominated for an international booker, which I think, fair play, because wow. it is a fantastic translation. Um so yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, there's so much to talk about with there's this There's so book. much, isn't yes. there? I know, I looked at my notes. Because like, it's, not, it's not just like, oh, this is a nice story. Yeah. Or a good story. It's huge. She yeah. is a Mexican writer, Guadalupe. She was born in Mexico, but she did spend time in France as well. She's written other books before this. Stillborn was published in Spanish in 2020. I think this version, the English version, came out later. Um, and she's won incredible amount of awards <laughs> and done incredible amount of things as I said it was shortlisted in 2023 for the international book prize but from the very beginning 
the first introduction is yeah so like, I actually wow. I wanted to say something to anyone listening yes who might not be in a position in their <laughs> life right now to listen to mm-hmm. the conversation that we're going to have um I think we're probably going to talk a lot about you know choosing to have children becoming parents the liminal space in between but this book mm-hmm. stillborn involves a really 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 heartbreaking yes. true story of someone getting a diagnosis during their pregnancy that their child isn't going to survive mm-hmm. so if if you are pregnant or trying to get pregnant yeah. or that's it, so just don't listen to it because i even yeah. when i said to you when we were talking about books i was like oh stillborn's really good oh i don't think you should read it because <laughs> mm. i was like you're pregnant well, the reason i had to read it in one sitting mm, yeah. is once i had started obviously the writing is brilliant the it's story is brilliant yeah. and then there were six or seven points and I kept texting you I have yeah. to stop now <laughs> I was at a point to go how could you do this to me but I told mm. you not to I said don't read it I was like and you said no I can I've read this other one I can take anything and I was like okay I said to you do not read I, we can't do this book you're too pregnant for it yeah. do you know what this book was um just in my living room and I had a friend coming around who's pregnant yeah and my husband was like I think you should move that book yeah just just the just the title itself just is so arresting yeah yeah. yeah, and it really yes. So it's about two friends, Laura and Alina. Uh, Laura has chosen. This is a very blunt way of putting. It, Laura has chosen not to have children. Alina has a child and finds out during pregnancy that there is a neurological difficulty, and there is a lot of that story that involves doctors and you know loss and grief and possible grief and surviving and all of these things. It's a very difficult read if you're in any way pregnant or going through that. Which situation. doesn't mean. You can't have emotions. No. Because if you, because if, I mean, yeah, I'm nine months pregnant and I read it and it just made me feel very emotional. I just didn't want anyone listening no. to like be 10 minutes in and then go, oh God, yeah, I didn't no. know you were going to talk about this. We are going to talk about that. Yeah, we are. We have to. And because the book does really, really go into these two stories. And it, and is, it is something that happens to people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All of it. All of it is things yeah. that actually happen in people's lives. Yeah. But <laughs> before but, all the trauma, yeah, we read this in tandem with Olive, your book, Emma. And what's so brilliant about both of them is female characters having a discussion about their definite decision about not wanting to have children. And it's odd that something so massive and so common is so little written about. I know. I, yeah. I literally kind of looked at my own bookshelves and thought, well... I want to read this book, I'll go and write it then, kind of yes, thing. Yeah. Which is all how all my books come about, actually. Mm. Um, but there were so many parallels and they're so different in tone and in sort of background and, and in the way they've been written. But I felt very seen by this book, especially yeah. with the friendship dynamic of you feeling like you've got a buddy and you're not going to have kids together and then someone goes and changes their mind. And that sort of selfishness, actually, of being like making it about you and your friend has massive news. Yeah. It's really and- hard, the whole changing your mind thing, because obviously it's very difficult for the people who aren't going to change their minds. And definitely, know, you know, yeah. they know this about themselves or they've just made a decision and it's definite and it's and it's rigid for them. And that we're very comfortable in our culture saying, yeah, wait till you get to 30s, wait till you get to late 30s, mm. wait till you meet your person. I think that's captured in the book really well because yeah. Laura and Alina are kind of young artists, bohemian academics, both living in Paris at one point and they moved back to Mexico City. And Laura very much, as you said, sees Alina in the same bracket. We're, we're not the idiots. <laughs> like, we're not going to subscribe to patriarchy. We're going to be free and travel and do all these stuff. And when Alina, you know, she gives that speech to Alina, doesn't she? And Alina's like, 
uh, we're trying. <laughs> She's like, oh, I loved early in the book when yeah. before she even specifies which friend this is for. This is what she, <laughs> this is what she says to all of her friends. The book starts with hearing an unhappy mother and son next door. Yes. So you know, it starts with unhappy motherhood, yes. a representation of the difficulty. And I just love this so much. For years, I tried to convince my girlfriends that procreating was a hopeless mistake. I told them that children, no matter how sweet and loving they were in their best moments, would always represent a limit on their freedom, an economic burden, not to mention the physical and emotional cost they bring about. What's more, society is designed so that it's us and not men who take on the responsibility of caring for children. I would tell them vehemently, is it really worth it? And it's that, but that's such an important part mm. of the discussion when actually lots of people, not just women, but especially women, feel bombarded with, and as you say, not a clear blue advert. Yeah. And what is your life without this? And what will you do when you retire? And yeah, the idea that you're just going to think about yourself forever. It's an important, yeah. like, how could you not? Is definitely the narrative of like, mm. how could you not have children? What or, would you do with yourself? How terribly you'll regret this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I've had that conversation with friends as well who've chosen not to have kids. I remember when I was younger, before Instagram educated me, that you were like, you'd be like, oh, are you sure you're not changing your mind? And then being like, why? And being like, oh, I just but no one, you might. no one says that when you're like, guess what? We're 12 weeks. You sure not going to change your mind? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, and people, people do. That's yeah. the thing. It is something people do regret having children. It's not a narrative that is instant happiness. Ask any parent. Yeah. <laughs> it's really brilliant the way she writes about it because it is very blunt. Is it really worth it? But I feel like she really investigates it. Mm. She doesn't just... It's not that's not the end of the argument. Like I feel like she really makes Laura investigate what motherhood is and what it means to be a mother. Because as the storyline develops with this mm. unhappy boy next door whose mother has clearly PTSD and depression, and she kind of ends up looking after this kid. She goes through what they call like a generativity stage, and I think it's a really brilliant fictional representation of the fact that just because some people don't biologically have children or even don't legally adopt children. Mm. They don't become incredibly important. Our society is surviving off people who care for other people's mm. families, yeah. who do useful things. So, yeah, it's such a good illustration of that. But even just for that, from that first sentence, just to go back to the beginning, yes. how we set up, it's really refreshing, like with Olive, to hear people making these arguments. She also does talk about, um, which I thought was really funny, um, when her boyfriend says you know, he wants kids. And she she says, um, we would simply have to leave the condom and its wrapper on the bedside table, maybe only once, for me to cross the threshold into maternity. Just as someone who, without ever having contemplated suicide, allows themselves to be seduced by the abyss from the top of the skyscraper, I felt the lure of pregnancy. And I was like, it's not many books that can casually, like move suicide and pregnancy into the same area and be like, yeah, it's a seduction, but it's not, it would kill me. That's not what my life choices which I was like that is bold writing how did you feel about the beginning of it Emma yeah I love that I got the sense that Laura is quite a political feminist type yes. of person as well who is really thinking about these things mm. and I think that's something that culturally has been written about in terms of the research into millennial women especially who are thinking about things more just in general maybe yeah. they have more time or they've um, had different education or whatever it might be that's impacting them but I love Laura how she's just like sitting on her balcony smoking loads of fags mm. and like you know she's got a lot of time yeah and I think that is something that draws me to her because I think as a writer I want to spend my life just wandering around noticing things <laughs> and people are like oh that sounds nice but it is a choice because I'm also I, I do believe going to miss out on some stuff too. I wonder if that millennial thing that you're describing is 
women feel it is a choice now. Mm, yeah, that's true. And, and explicitly, rather than it's expectations or what your husband wants or what your family wants. If you have your own income... Yeah, you can make that choice. You decide how you spend it. Yeah, but and I don't take that for granted. Like I yeah. look at my mum and I look at my grandmother and her mother before that and I just feel like... I'm living kind of this main character energy walking down the street of like, <laughs> oh my God, I can choose. Like how amazing. I'm I, I'm not going to ever moan about that kind of thing. It's really exciting. It can also for some people then be muddy when it comes to the area of having children because I think of it as such a gamble. Mm. It's such a gamble because you don't know the outcome. There are lots, yeah. of, there are lots of unknowables. Unknowables are really difficult you don't know if you can have children or yep. not. So you don't know how you're going to have children. You don't know what kind of children you're going to have. You definitely don't know how you're going to feel as a parent no. until it's happening. Mm. So it's like people in their 20s or 30s are now being told, okay, you're in charge. And then you're going, okay, I quite like my life. Yeah, and yes. I definitely have lots of friends who have really great lives mm. and are like, why would you ruin this? And that yes. was a big conversation with me and my husband. Of like, we really liked our life. Yeah. It did feel like a big gamble of like, God, it's really nice. Do we really? And there's definitely times in the chaos. Obviously, I do not regret having my children, but there's chaos when you remember what you used to have, the time. And I think in this book, she, she does something I really like in that she never explicitly says Laura has time, but she describes the salad, getting ready, uh, bringing the food round, having dinner to people who have children. And I'm like, wow, Laura had so much time today. She went to the library, she slept yeah. outside. Even just watching the birds. Because yeah. yes. one, of, one of the maternal, the parenting situations in the book are the, the, the pigeons nesting on her balcony. I love the nest. Yeah, I really love Oh, and that symbolism it. made me feel very A-level English lit. I was <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> underlining, underlining it, like, oh, all yes. the symbolism. It, yeah. You can get a full essay out of the nest. <laughs> yeah. And it comes up, at, what's amazing, that so there's pigeons on her balcony, building a nest she starts watching the eggs one of the eggs gets kicked out she gets emotionally involved as yeah, well she she's gets not watching involved. it just interestingly she does care yeah even though and originally she doesn't want them there she mm. tries to she breaks up their nest oh symbolism yeah but then they build it back and she's like oh well you've made the effort one of the eggs disappears and there's another egg that seems a different color when the egg cracks open she's like that doesn't look like a pigeon even though it was a bit on the nose symbolism and i wondered if that was a translation thing i was like i wonder if in spanish that doesn't feel as do not want to use this word about this book but clunky in Spanish it wouldn't have felt so like oh I get it the nest is of my children <laughs> I kind of loved how closely it symbolised it but then maybe because there's lots of different sort of stories within a story in this isn't there yes. like, when you're changing. really conscious of something you see it everywhere it yeah. felt to me like a person who is obsessed at the moment with what is it to become a mother Yes, and you know it's not the day after she got sterilised it's years afterwards but her best friend is going through a process of becoming yeah. a parent so she's seeing it everywhere. And because she's thinking about it so much, rather than just getting rid of pigeons on her roof, she's like, oh, they're making a family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she's even analysing her own mother a lot, isn't she? Like yeah. she's seeing it everywhere. She's like yes. ripping apart everything, gluing yeah. it back together. And and I thought that was really subtly done. Mm. But I know, and I've said this before, I said this to you and Monica a few weeks ago, but if you've had an unhappy parent, yeah, the choice to become a parent or not... It's really steered by that. If you've, yeah, had a, yeah. if you've had a parent who couldn't cope, didn't want to cope, or kept telling you, you've ruined my life. Yeah. <laughs> like mm. you're, yeah. you're really battling with that 
because you do think you're ending a cycle of bad parents. Yeah. Oh my God, that bit with the mum where she's like, yeah, actually, I think you made a great choice not having kids. They really <laughs> ruin your life. And yeah. she, Laura's like, thanks. <laughs> Did you watch Succession? Because there's that incredible line with Shiv and her mum, where oh, Shiv's Harriet Walter, yeah, Harriet Walter smoking, saying you mustn't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, you'd be a terrible mother. Oh. A terrible mother telling her daughter, don't be a yeah, mother. You'd be a terrible Jesus. mother. You know what you're like. Yeah. Yes. And that again, I love that she... Like, I think what you said, Emma, is so apt. Like, she really breaks apart motherhood and, like, like an eggshell. And, <laughs> thanks, guys. A plus over here. Sometimes it is a shame that we're not still at, at university. When we do this podcast and I make my notes, I was like, I peaked at A level. <laughs> English A level was my peak. Degree, I was like, what do you mean think on my own? I can just deconstruct your book. Like, that's what my brain has been trained to do. I can't then add Marxist theory to it. To come back to the nest, what becomes clear is that it it wasn't a pigeon, it was a cuckoo. So the pigeons are raising a baby who's not their own. And the bit that I absolutely adored is there's a moment. So you're kind of on the side, you're kind of like, oh, this awful cuckoo. And they took over the nest and they got rid of the egg and you sort of feel sorry. The cuckoo comes back Mm. and the nest is gone. Mm. And she says, I felt sorry for the little creature. Although perhaps the whole world, myself included, would have made me feel that way this morning. And I was like, yeah, no one asks to be fucking born like you know that's yeah. what it all comes back to mothering of like should I have a child should I not am I a good mother or a bad mother but we all understand what it is to be a child going I didn't ask for any of these yeah. situations and I'd never thought about cuckoos in this sense yeah. before but that in terms of the majority of creatures if they're young demand care it's just genetically programmed unless you eat them you know because some animals do <laughs> yeah, yeah. some mammals just eat their, their young if, if it's not a good time if they're stressed or whatever or they need the nutrients <laughs> I have had no sleep come here ketchup salt pepper <laughs> but there is it's amazing but like the mammal's body just knows that yeah yeah not now I can't feed you or whatever but but, but, but with the the cuckoos evolution has allowed them to just go just to not care yeah just to not yeah. care. But to care enough, actually, maybe a cuckoo woman is like, oh, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> I, my life is so great and I'm worried I'm going to be selfish. Pigeons are so reliable. Like, is it that cuckoos go, we're bad mums? I guess we, so see, we do see a lot of cuckoos in the movies. They all go to LA. <laughs> they go to LA. They annoy people. They live they're selfishly. Say, no, yeah, they're very kids, selfish. me, with these hips. <laughs> <laughs> and they make the pigeons raise it. And I mean, it is happening, isn't it, when Laura takes in Nico and is yes. really maternal. I've got to admit, that bit didn't annoy me. Like, obviously, I was like, oh, Laura's a really nice person, obviously. But, and actually, you know, I, it happens in Olive. Like, she mm. she falls for yes. these stepkids that yes. she has. Yeah. But that, I wanted to read, I want to read a novel at some point, and this wasn't going to be the one, still loved it, mm. where the, the, a woman want, doesn't want kids and she doesn't even really like She's kids that much. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. want to nurture I w- anyone. I wonder if that's something that we fear, especially because we want people to like our characters, even very flawed women, difficult women. Mm. But there's still a point where we want to show they're not heartless or they do empathise. Yeah, but I think it's interesting. Mm. That's what I liked. Mm. I, li- I liked the Nico story because it didn't feel like... it didn't. F- taking in Nico felt like a human reaction, not a female reaction. It didn't feel loving... Yeah, it felt like it, this person really, this yeah. woman needs my help. And it I'm felt sort, practical. I'm sort of in love yeah. with this woman. Well, the sex, that, it that was, was quite bit. practical with the feeding and just like dressing and it, taking it, him out it, for a walk like, like a dog almost. Yeah. Adult, adult responsibility. What do you do if the person next door is a neglected child and the mum is struggling? And also she said like there is that moment where 
so we should say next door, the, the mum has been in an abusive relationship. The husband dies. She's now in a, an abusive relationship with her son. With the son. And the son yes. kind of replaced. And he, he's sort of seven, uh, is Yeah, he? and at one point gets a baseball bat and is trying to hit her. So it's really violent what's happening next door and she can hear everything. So yeah, it felt like taking Nico almost was... Yeah. Well, there's such a turning point mm. because number one, it happens a lot before. It's not like it happens once and no, then she goes no, next door. Constantly having it's the night she it. hears him cry. Yeah. And actually, how she hears Poor him Nico. cry, it's, it's told again in, in very animal terms. I heard a whimper. So, this is after he's had a horrible row with his mum, but she's been sitting outside on her phone for hours. Yeah, smoking. And he's seven. <laughs> so, so we, sad. We, we hate him. Yeah. But he's seven. And this is how she. I heard a whimper through the wall by my bed. Then another and another one, moans with no intelligible words, like the howls of a young wolf looking for the pack. But no one came to his aid. Mm. That's such incredible writing because yeah. all of a sudden you're reminded he's a little asshole, but he's this vulnerable child. Yeah. And children, no matter how they behave, it's adults' responsibility. Yeah. And I think it gives her the responsibility. That's what it felt like to me. Mm. It didn't feel like a nurturing person getting a soft spot for someone it felt like someone really going there's practical problems mm. I, I i i cannot walk away from oh, yeah. but it is interesting because that is parenting <laughs> that is parenting that they are sometimes awful terrible like unwrapped like so and, unbelievably and, and that so are you and you and, so are you, and but, you are the person you, on the doorstep on your phone you have to be the saying adult. i won't talk to that little fucker you yeah. can deal with them yeah and it, yeah. it's i thought you know that the description of his mum it was just again heartbreaking this woman who's kind of letting him she can't stop him shouting she doesn't know what to do because she's had this abusive husband but and then she sent him away to her sister she, she's she scared of him she's terrified of him um, i just thought it was also funny that just before that she's reading anna karenina she's yes. about a woman who left her eight-year-old son for <laughs> oh a lover yes. yeah so there is some stuff actually i'm now realizing there is quite a lot of a level oh yeah <laughs> yeah i yeah. i do like i like that actually um mm. i think you're right and 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 back to the bird nest mm. thing. It's like a part of me was sort of fantasizing, like, what if we lived in a world where it really did take a village to raise someone? Mm. And you know, you live in this community or collective where, because that's what I fantasize about as being a child-free woman is like having a nest that's like a safe space. And like, you know, if my niece or nephew like wants to run away from home and spend the week with me, like, I literally would love that. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't be that, you know, maternal or nourishing, but but I would. I would want to be a safe space. But it's funny to be, it's how you define maternal and nourishing because it does take a village because what they need is somewhere where a, a mother figure, you know, they don't tell everything to and that you you do the like, you do all the hugging and the nourishing and then they need other people who they can be honest with and that's also... Mm -hmm. And who see yeah. them as themselves. There's an amazing... And that's extremely mm. nourishing and that's extremely, not necessarily, you know, it comes under the umbrella of maternal but I think that's what people mean by it takes a village is like the mum cannot do everything. Mum can tuck you in and hug you but it's actually, they need more than that. They need the other people who see them not as just a baby and a child. And also it's a, totally. two, it's a relationship with two-way needs. <laughs> Having people who need a lot less from you. There's an amazing line in the film 20th century women where I can't remember the character's name but Annette Benning's um, Greta Gerwig has taken a picture of Annette Benning's son and and it's so incredible for her to look at she says I never get to see him like yeah, the world does yeah and that's what that's what children and teenagers need is to be themselves mm. and to your parent you are always well you're my little baby yeah <laughs> or you're always 
or their sense sense of ownership maybe or thinking you know them better than they know themselves yeah definitely yeah, yeah. and you can kind of dream with other people I think or say yeah. I want to do this one day mm. and even if your parents are lovely and, and and supportive it's still like oh I'm telling you my secrets kind of thing yeah yeah when I said to my family that I wanted to be an actor my mum said you cry too much <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly why you should be an actor exactly yeah. I turn that on yeah. my mum said there we go I was sort of childless until I was 40 and I really did think I was across the line from not having children. I made myself feel better by thinking I will have so much energy, more energy and resources for the other young people that Mm. I know because I can offer them, like you say, a space because it won't be filled with my own children. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And it's really weird how... I feel like I have a knowing, um, a knowing, which is like, I know I don't want them. And who, you know, who knows? Like, quite frankly, there could be a plot twist. We don't know. <laughs> but like, I'm pretty sure. But I I know, and this sounds weird, but it's like, I kind of want to reach more people in a way, like with the stuff I'm doing. And, and mm. I feel like if I was looking after one little person or two, I would feel like, I don't know, it's almost like a flower or a plant in water, not getting enough water. Like I wouldn't, that's correct that is what like, parenting is you're everything I was just, I say, just Emma, don't be afraid like to say it that I is would, what parenting is I think is. I would be really unhappy yeah. and mm-hmm. so I and 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 I you know there's all these child-free kind of poster women like Elizabeth Gilbert and like Oprah or whatever and like you don't have to like be this like shining light if you don't have kids mm. but I do love the idea of like taking that love and like you're going to put it somewhere yeah basically yes. yeah yeah definitely. and also and if it's self-directed that's still love like there's there's no sort of badge for and I didn't brush my teeth for two years yeah. because I was looking after my toddler or uh, people who are happy are much better members of society people who are unhappy can be detrimental and I think it's important to be honest because yeah. I would agree with you there's definitely times having now got two small children I'm undernourished yeah I do not have the capacity to do the things I want to do and I you know I'm struggling people get let down things fall off the table that you should have done that does again doesn't mean I hey kids if you're listening I don't regret it (laughs) I'm happy but I am happy I definitely feel like I made the right choice I really wanted kids um but I will always be honest about the sacrifices the balance the work life that that comes with two people existing in your space of course they need love and they need care and that that could have gone somewhere else. So it's a, it is a choice for our generation. There isn't anyone, well, particularly women, but there is there aren't any women who write who have children who don't wonder what could I have created if I hadn't had oh, children. Oh my god, yeah, the time. Because mm. anyone creating anything mm. alongside family commitments, whatever they are, because yeah. some people care for parents, obviously, or yeah. care for other people in their lives. But women who write with children, the through line is them thinking. <laughs> If I had been a man, or <laughs> if I well, the joke around yes. my, my friends who are mums who write is like we need we all need wives. We need a wife yeah. to do to do all the other stuff that we're also doing. And that you know, I have a very very supportive husband who does lots and lots of childcare and support, and still is difficult. Um, we should talk about Alina, right. uh, the other side of motherhood. So her friend who didn't want children struggles to get pregnant eventually gets pregnant and then finds out during a scan that the brain of her daughter is not forming properly yeah so it's, it's so there's there's stages with Alina Alina felt very real to me Alina I I really liked based her. on her friend mm. she says yeah. at the beginning thank you to her friend Amelia for her story so yeah she mm. wants the reader to know yeah 
this and really she said happened in to someone. It, oh, has she to. started the book by interviewing her friend? Oh, bless her. And she want, that's wow. what she wanted to talk about this story yes. and how her friend had coped. So She's, that definitely, yeah, Laura is, is the fiction side yes. of it, really. So she feels really well constructed <clears throat> right from the beginning of being a person who has an artist, doesn't want children, mm. and then meets someone and is in a certain relationship and goes from we're trying to we're desperate and mm. going through IVF. And I wonder, I do wonder what happens when you're told you can't. Mm. Yes, and, and, that's true. Because, because then it's not like, a, oh, it's, a, it's chance now. It's yeah. a, either I make it happen or I do absolutely everything I can. I think that, I think it, cha- it, I think it changes people's personality. Well, definitely the, like, the rules of the game are changed, aren't they? It's like, it's not a, cho- it's not a choice then, is it? It's like, it's also your choice, but also you couldn't if you wanted to anyway. That's going to mentally change the situation, I'm mm. sure. Um, they are also told in the book that their daughter will die after she's born. A hundred percent. Every doctor yes. says yes. that she's going to die. So before uh, Inez, as they call her, is born, yeah. they're very, she's very much a pregnant woman having to grow a baby who she believes pregnant woman will die. Who's pregnant miraculously because yes. she was told she wasn't going to be able mm-hmm. to have children mm-hmm. and she's been through IVF. And it, it seems like that in Mexico where they are, there wasn't any sort of health service. Yeah, it's it all was, private, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Very expensive. Very, very expensive. Probably not going to happen for mm. them. So she's originally dealing with that and in all of you have a character who's going through infertility treatment as well while other people around her mm-hmm. are, seem to be getting pregnant in sort of, you know quotation marks easily yeah but without, without a struggle without help. doubt yeah and she she retreats into herself massively and can't be around anyone can't be online really can't she's just triggered by everything and but but the, um Alina's character in this book I mean oh my god I was just in bits because <laughs> I was so sorry I just <laughs> sent you the no, book but of it bits. Was, I love a good cry I like yeah. going to cinema on my own and cry but um and I you can and, you can. and, and we can <laughs> but it it's just this idea of I mean I, I've never read anything like it like you're yeah. you're literally creating something and mourning it before it's mm. even been born yeah. and and the, oh my god and and like the the children's room and how she was like yes. unpacking all these clothes and then packing them back away again mm. I was just like I don't know how anyone so lived the moment she that. says they had a cot shipped over from Denmark because yeah. it's the best cot and then immediately being like it's not even going to make it to so the cot at, at sort of uh, 12 weeks when she goes for a scan she's told the gender yeah and she comes out from the toilet and she's so excited she tells the receptionist we're mm. having a girl like right from the beginning I think what's really important for Alina's story is this story is a tragedy anyway you get mm. pregnant, anyway that it's your child, but this is a miracle. Yes, it's a miracle baby. A, a really, really, really wanted baby. Wanted one, yeah. And I think what happens, and that's the, the struggle with infertility treatment with IVF, is that then when you then suffer a loss through it, it's, 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 it's so unfair because that's the bit you haven't even computed because yeah. you couldn't even get across the line of mm. how do we even get pregnant. And is it like a, it's almost like a double loss, right? Because like you, you already feel like you've lost something. So it's like, how is this happening to me again? Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, how? Who could? Who could? Who could write this? I know. But who could be so unfair? Mm. She says, above. This is about Alina. Above all, she felt afraid. But how can we escape from something we are afraid of when we are carrying it within us? I was like, yeah. Fuck. The scene in this that killed me is when her grief therapist. So they yeah. recommended. It's actually incredible advice. There's an incredible Buddha story mm, about a, a grieving woman going to. Visit to Buddha saying, can you resuscitate my son? Mm. And Buddha saying, I can if you get me a mustard seed from a house that's never experienced grief. And then they spend a year going around houses 
basically crying with other mothers and hugging them and realising that everyone has been through it, but they're carrying on and that mm. that's the lesson. Mm. So the grief therapist is telling them, you have to start grieving her now, even though she's not going to die until she's born. And you have to sort of... But, um, she recommends that she dances. Yeah, makes a playlist for her. Mm. Yeah, because... You're going to you, go. <laughs> gonna yeah, I'm nearly after here. Yeah, yeah, because your baby can hear yeah. and they're alive and like... Feeding your baby moving inside you. And that's what she keeps saying to them is that this person is alive. And and then when they brutally say, that's just you. Yeah, you're You're keeping keeping them alive. alive. And it's like, Alina made her. Alina not only made her, but Alina went and had IVF treatment and made that miracle. And now she's the only reason that Inez is alive. And she's known her her since she was a tiny little bean. It wasn't one of those things where you find out at three months. Did you feel this got you more because you have been through I think having a IVF, but also... Not just because you're also pregnant. <laughs> having a baby wiggling inside you mm, as you read this. While someone's talking about it. And I also I have seen my son's brain scan, so I know he's definitely got a full brain, like size-wise, <laughs> not bragging. Um, <laughs> but I, that's why I was worried about other people listening to it because it's mm. just such an odd phase. It's weird going about your life anyway with a, another mammal inside you yeah. wriggling, responding to sounds. The stuff that she says, you know, when they're saying the baby will be deaf, and it's like, but the baby... If you drop something, they jerk, yeah. they wake up and they do wiggle to songs. Mm-hmm. I love that she makes the playlist, which then Laura listens, which then Laura gives Nico to listen to yeah. one day and it's full of like quite upbeat. And Laura says, I'm surprised it's full of upbeat. And mm. it's that thing with grief of like grief is 50% joy and 50% sadness because there is a joy that this baby even exists. And that Alina is trying to express that joy and that sadness. Well, it was a joyful playlist. moment in the book. Yeah. That's what's incredible about the writing. Yeah. Is I could see her doing it and it being a wonderful thing because oh, I'm so sorry I made you read this book. <laughs> because because then she had her baby. So yeah, we should say she has the baby. No, but I mean she had it while she was dancing. It's oh, like yeah, it's about yeah. that moment. Oh I see, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, if someone you loved or cared about was is given a diagnosis, there are still moments where they're there. Mm, yeah. And I mean they, they call it um anticipatory grief. And it's it's common. God, in, they've named everything in grief, <laughs> haven't they, Harriet? <laughs> yes, they have. Oh, apart from, hang on, I that thought this... bit isn't that that bit you're going to read. I've got something to say about as well. Okay, <laughs> what? There's no word for parents. Go on, you read it. Okay. There's a word to describe someone who loses their spouse and a word for children who are left without parents. There is no word, however, for a parent who loses their child. Unlike previous centuries in which child mortality was very high, it's not normal for this to occur in our time. It is something so feared, so unacceptable, that we have chosen not to name it. Mm, That is true. There's also no word for someone who's lost a sibling. Okay, which is but again, up. but to do with child death though. Still, uh, well, not necessarily. If you've lo- if you've lost your sibling as an adult, like you could lose your parents in your fifties, and you're still people say I've been orphaned. Okay, so I, that was the only thing that I wrote down. Also, it's because sibling that comes up with people who've lost their siblings are like there yeah. isn't a word for me, and siblings are also obviously it's not a hierarchy. But do we know if there is in Spanish? I don't know actually. That's a good point. But there isn't a word for um, a person who's lost a child, and it is considered because there is no word like it's such an awful yeah. terror it's mm-hmm. the worst and constantly in grief theory you are it t- like there is no hierarchy of grief grief is grief apart from child loss child losses trumps everything because it's against the natural order of mm-hmm. how a thing should be and we all know that wherever you come from whatever your financial religious social background you all know that children shouldn't die before a parent mm-hmm. so yes there isn't a word for it and even though there were so many beautiful moments I felt like I was on such a journey with her in the book because it was not linear and some of it really didn't make sense. Like that bit where she's like, go Inez, like leave, leave, mm. like basically wishing. Yeah. Like, and that's all, that's kind of mm. like the, the taboo, isn't it? Of, of not wanting a child or, 
you know, that bit really shocked me because she's basically saying like, actually, I don't want you anymore. But that's yeah. obviously grief that's, as well. Yeah. And I would say it didn't shock me as someone who's had a lot of grief conversations because some what Inez is born and what they seem to be saying is she's living, but it's an, a so, completely vegetative state. And what is common is for people to be like, that's no life. And so as a mum, she's like, I don't want you to have, that's not a, cho- like, what is that? That's me, like they say, changing your sanitary towels at 14. That's me pushing she, you around. She has t- very powerful imagery of herself mm. as a mother, the mother of an adult child yeah. who will depend upon her from everything. And and that's fear because yeah. what what is unsaid in that is she will die and then what? But also that she will live a life without pleasure but not in as i mean it's like no. you can mother you can mother yeah. a child until you know as an adult mm. if they have obviously special needs or certain disabilities but eventually and this is a big thing with that situation is the mother will die who will care for that child yes, after and, they, that? and yeah and, that they and love them the way that, that they have loved them yeah that's very that's terrifying for people mm. with children in that situation because they're so it's vulnerable it is a vulnerable adult yeah and so i think that's what when she's saying like don't don't live in this as she's in the hospital. It is a, a, a deep deep fear of like what what why would you choose this? But and she says that a lot. Why choose this life? Mm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. So we should say Inez doesn't die. As so she, she's, she's told repeatedly by experts yeah. that because uh, so it's en- encephaly. So that so Inez has such a small <laughs> amount of her brain, just basically the very very base functions at the back, that she won't be able to see or hear, and that she will be born. And um, as the mother's body isn't breathing for her anymore, she will stop breathing. Mm-hmm. And She's told that that will happen sort of on her body. They'll, they'll place her daughter. She'll be able to see her daughter. There'll be pictures taken. Her, her parents can come in and meet her child, but that she'll be lasting, what, minutes, hours. Yeah. And instead, what happens is she has a C-section and everyone's sort of talking without her and then mm-hmm. taking takes the baby out of the room. And she keeps being told the baby's okay. Mm. In his lips. Not knowing what she that lives. means. Yeah. Which is why it it's makes still me kind born. of judge the doctors a bit. Not going to lie. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. you get that the feeling of fury that mm. some of those doctors are so brutal and so blunt. And, and then when she starts doing that anecdotal research, she finds out there's lots of children that have lived up to, you know, seven or eight with this who've, who can speak. Or have who 15 words or who yeah. can climb and, stairs. And these doctors just said, no, absolutely no way. And one of them even says to her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this to you, mm. like, unless I absolutely thought yeah. it was your child was going to die. Why would I say this to you? And it's it, because 
medicine is, you know, an art. It's not a science. Like, they don't always know. Medicine's a soft science. (laughs) They're doing their best. Yeah, you know, painting's harder. What can I say? Um, And I know it's so cliche to say this, but it does put things in perspective, this book, as in mm. there's a a line that also made me burst out into tears um, that's basically Alina saying, like, all I would love to do is for her to blow bubbles and mm. go underwater. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that is something that I'm sure a lot of us don't even think about. We yeah. don't even think about, oh, the first time we blew bubbles. But, like, to her, that is literally her whole world. And it's like, God, how lucky you are if you do do that. Yeah. What you focus on if you're infertile for a really long time, you sort of fetishize it. So I think a lot about making packed lunches. And I don't know why, because I can make myself packed lunches. I can make my <laughs> stupid husband packed lunches. And I can make other children packed lunches. But the idea, and actually it's drudgery, so why fetishize it? But the idea of like yeah. chopping grapes in half yeah. and like having mm-hmm. stuff in the fridge so you can put a selection of things together, it's really odd. That and bedtime stories. Like you do yeah. like zone in. It's really odd, yeah. And and just a certain thing will feel like, okay, there's magic in that. And I mm. I think you're right for Alina, just it also makes you think, you know, as a parent that people will have much grander, like, oh, I want them to be this or grow up to be this. And Alina is like, I just want her to be able to blow bubbles. And so Ines does live. They get a nanny. <laughs> we should talk about Marlena, um, who kind of comes in. And again, another aspect of motherhood. This is a woman who is not, related to Inez the baby but starts to completely look after her because Alina this broke my heart Had to has go to, to go back to work 12 weeks after her daughter is born with all these complications because she needs the health insurance that made me want to throw the book and she's got um, a credit card that she got. and yes. oh yeah she's also <laughs> yeah. internet shopping yes but yeah for her anxiety her and her husband both went back to work full time yeah three months which means someone else is with your child 24 well you know and they and they say you know they need a very specialist nanny they need hardcore medical care round the clock and Marlena becomes this she's an incredible she bonds within us everything's perfect except Alina and this maybe spoke to me very much Mm. of like mother guilt is feeling like well then I'm not I'm not the mother even though I have born this child grown this child I'm not the real mum because I'm not there there's that scene where they go on holiday and Mm. she goes into Marlena's room and the baby's in the nappy just like head on her chest and she's naked and yeah. she's naked i mean i, I, don't, I don't think anyone would be all right with seeing their kid in that situation but no. and she had her own stuff didn't she yes yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. also how do you how do you take such loving care yeah if it if it's just your job i don't think you could be that boundaried <laughs> yeah. if you're sort of clocking off at certain times or going i want a pay rise yeah it's you not have to a be job, there is it? it's be, a you have to care yeah um the other side of it the struggling thing that i've had with trying to work and childcare is that when it's someone's job and they just want money, <laughs> you don't want to leave your kids with them. Yeah, it's just, it's such an odd thing when it's not someone's proper job, but they do it because it pays more than working in a shop. Yeah, yeah, because because it should do because it's more responsibility. You want them to pretend they love your kid, but they don't. They want to be on their phone and your kid to be asleep. Yeah. That would be really anxiety-inducing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Horrific. It's horrific having to leave your child because you have to do a job, knowing full well that person is fine. Who cares less than a distant cousin who's never met your kid? <laughs> it reminded me a bit of um, someone I know used to be a PA for like load of rich people, mm. and they would go into their homes and it would be like the nanny would be, you know. Mm. Um, 
you know the kid would be asleep on the nanny's lap like they would be really close so it would and I and they and my friend would be like I would always think the nanny was the mum yeah like and then it'd be like oh no it's that woman in the kitchen with like glamorous dresses on and long red nails and yeah you know Mm. having a great time but not you know literally patting the child on the head and being like right night I'm going I'm going out now and like that's a life choice that's fine I'm not judging it but it was just that thing of like God, imagine seeing another woman be so close to your child. Like, how would that make you feel? That's what I feel with this book. She's asking again and again, what is motherhood? Like, Mm. is motherhood taking your neighbour's child? Is motherhood, you know, having to have your children when you're younger and then becoming a feminist like her mother does and sort of not wanting anything to do with them? Is motherhood like being like there's all it like the thing it's like she breaks down how that word doesn't isn't yes. doing enough yeah mm, the expectation so even with the pigeons actually yeah. the, the cuckoo mother <laughs> yeah someone did care for your child you did the bit that you're contractually obliged to which is you pop them in a nest when yeah. you knew someone was going to look after them when she's feeling guilty i think this is alina talking to laura about like oh i feel so awful about having a nanny and, and so her friend is trying to say to her like you know um Naturally, connections are going to be made between children and these substitute mothers, Monica went on. But I don't think it's a bad thing, or that the roles are reversed so exhausted mothers can get a bit of rest. People used to hire another woman to breastfeed their babies, didn't they? I just mean that motherhood has always been very porous. The Mm. females of lots of other species take care of other females young. And I was like, that word, Mm. the porosity of motherhood, like we still try to pin it down of like, no, a mother is the person who vaginally gives birth to this person. And that is... and if. you know deviates from that there's something wrong with that woman or if you're a woman who you know even if you've done that then doesn't want to do the other things yeah I mean even like we took this like I've had two c-sections like even from the birth you are judged like and they will say did you have a c-section or a normal birth yeah constantly Mm. and that's why I use the phrase vaginal birth c-section birth but that's from the moment of or again how were they conceived was it like there's and I think that's a female thing. I think that's a the way that we consistently want women to fit into a narrative that fits other people's expectations. And I think that's what this book does so beautifully. It just raises the question without telling you quite what anyone thinks. But it's just like, here's Alina, here's Laura, here's her mother, here's Marlena the nanny. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i tell you a bit I absolutely love. Yes. <laughs> Going on from this is when Alina, so she's still pregnant. Mm. She has been told this terrible news about her child. Not, not going to be able to survive and she's smoking with Laura and she says to her you made the right decision not to have children yeah. and the line she uses I loved this line so much because because this resonated with so much how I felt number one anxiety during the pregnancy but then also being responsible for a child I think you were right not to have kids she said suddenly lighting a cigarette being a mother means being worried about someone else all the time mm. yeah I had a especially when you know he was really young and so I was sleep deprived and a bit manic I had a sort of tattoo sentence in my brain going around all the time going love is terror love is terror love is terror love is terror because I couldn't believe and this actually goes back to write the prologue of the book oh, the prologue. if you make a person you make a person who will die yeah and no one talks to you about that bit because <laughs> that, that's not part of the pat lunches and the yeah, no. the, the blow in the bubbles and everything yeah. of like oh you are suddenly she starts the book by saying watching a baby as it sleeps is to contemplate the fragility of all life that's why and you don't yes, know that until yeah. you're bloody responsible for one and it's it's going to die one day. That's why I hate loathe the phrase um, grief is the price we pay for love. Because you can grieve someone that Who you... Who said that? Brian oh. Adams. <laughs> Grief is the price we pay for it's love. It's actually quoted from as the Queen saying it, but I... 
Oh, I don't actually know if that's true, but who is she talking about? One, you can grieve people you don't love, but I firmly believe grief is the price you pay for life. Like this is it. Yeah. This is the deal. If you were living and talking, doing this, that's how my parents explained it to me as as a child. Yeah. When I said, "Well, why do we have to die?" They said, "Otherwise, no one will ever be born." So, yeah. yeah. And even mm-hmm. if you choose to be child free in this situation, you will not be protected from no. the loss. And that's what I think so interesting about this book as well. That Alina's journey of grief is happening, but Laura is as it, you know is invested and in this child and the friends Leah is invested in this child and like you can feel the love around Inez and it isn't just Alina's love obviously Alina is suffering the most absolutely but this idea that everyone is affected by life everyone is affected by death Laura what felt very realistic is that she's sort of cut out about it like Alina doesn't answer her phone sometimes it's not like she's always calling her to tell her what's going on there's sometimes it's impossible for her to find the words to tell her the results that they've had or what's happened. And that reminded me of Olive, what you captured so brilliantly of like the friendships of how women float in and out of each other's lives sometimes. Mm. And how intimacy is very easy at a youthful stage. Yes. Yeah. Smoking, drinking, looking at a river, travelling the world. Yeah. And it becomes really tricky later on in life. Definitely. There's that scene where they meet up and Laura's explaining that Alina's not really there. Like she's... she can't even make eye contact with her she's just in a different dimension which I'm sure she was and I I do write about that in Olive where fundamentally when you're when your friend has had a child like you don't understand an element of them Mm -hmm. and they don't understand an element of you because you are different people like when you become a mother like obviously you transform and you're a different version of yourself Mm. so you're you are kind of leaving behind that friendship it's a grief there's definitely definitely a grief but of course it also comes back and 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 I really wanted to show in Olive that actually um you weirdly you can become closer as well because my friends who are mothers can tell me things they wouldn't tell other mothers like there's a beauty in the difference as well (laughs) yeah there's a the exact reflection of what you said earlier about millennials that being a new mum you have no time to think and reflect so actually I don't know how you would communicate to anyone how Mm. you were I think some people and I actually haven't found this and I don't know if that's age or because I was child-free for such a long or childless for such a long time that I didn't identify as a mum like really strongly but that's why sometimes people slip into relationships with other mums because there's a shorthand because they don't have to describe things to them mm. because there is there's just, there is no time for reflection and sometimes I, like I really have to remind myself that I am like the Laura character who's like sitting on my balcony looking at the birds like, <laughs> and then I'm texting my friend like oh, you know um you know I'm very aware of it now so I don't mm. do this but I could be like you know you haven't replied to this WhatsApp group about yeah. someone's birthday and it's like yeah but they don't have time for that and like that's not a priority like that's okay it's really hard to understand the the loss of time I definitely had that as well like my brother had kids before me and I remember (laughs) asking him I remember going around and he had you know a kid who did not sleep and I said something but like have you not seen that film at the cinema and he just looked at me was like (laughs) I've been to the fucking cinema and I remember going home and thinking I mean, it's not hard to go to the cinema. <laughs> like, my, my, my book Q&A, there was two questions I couldn't answer. One of them was, how would I cast my book? And I couldn't think of a single actor's name who wasn't in Harry Potter. <laughs> and then the second one, they said, um, what did you think of the Barbie movie? Huh. And, and again, it was just that yeah. thing of like, oh, you wonderful young people, you have no idea, you have no yeah. idea how restricted 
a life can become so quickly. And that's yeah, what a friend I of mine did the maths to me. She was like, yeah. so, so we have to get a babysitter that costs this and yeah. then this and this and this. And I was like, God, it's, cost, it's costing you like 100 quid to go to the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also you're too tired. You're too so tired. Actually, if it came to six o'clock and someone says, do you not want to go? You go, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. I only saw the Barbie movie because my husband booked a ticket because he was he's a filmmaker and he was like, I have to see this. It's going to be <laughs> all anyone's talking about. So we agreed okay, you are allowed to go out. That's fine. I'll do bedtime. He then got food poisoning. So I, I was like, well, then I will go. <gasps> so and you that, got to go. That's the only reason. And I sat I didn't, by... You, I didn't even know that you'd seen it. Yeah, yeah. I went by myself. I sat at the back of a packed cinema next to a couple. Having <laughs> a really <laughs> nice time. Um, and I felt... I felt a bit uncomfortable, um, but they didn't mind. We all laughed at the same time. But that's literally, it was such a twist of, like, yeah. quirk of fate that I even got to see that film. But Emma, we don't even watch TV no, because we no. don't want to watch programmes that make us stay up a bit later. Yeah. So if even, like, watching the end of a programme, 15, 20 minutes, or the worst, starting another episode. No. So having had so recently a normal person's life where you binge watch and then you're a bit sleepy the next day so you have another coffee, going from that to, no, should we just watch The Office again? Because we will sit... <laughs> When we're tired, we switch it off. Yeah. What time do you go to bed? Nine, if I, possible, or earlier. But I've got a leg in both camps. So I was a terrible childless friend to people with children. I used to slag people off. <laughs> why, why do I always have to go to them? I wrote stand-up about Cariad when Cariad was pregnant, saying that her belly was getting bigger to push me away. And then our other friend... <laughs> I'm fine, said, guys. ...said, um, you can't say that. <laughs> like Because her pregnancy wasn't about me. I've got to say, I love your stand-up about this. And there's oh. that, a really great clip. Oh, thanks, of, Emma. No, I get, sorry. But it's, Why don't so, we bring my child on? And it's so timeless. It's so universal. But um, that, that bit of, as well around um, doing QI yeah. and having a oh, baby. Yeah, yeah. And, but now what I have... Because I've now I'm very smart when she says things. I'm like, is it hard? I, I will like uh, one of our fr- one of our friends who doesn't have kids yet. Uh, the other day, texted me something really insensitive. And then, and I said to Carrie, I'd like, look at this, da, 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 da. did I do this? And she'd say, yep. hundred <laughs> percent. How funny. Because sometimes 100%. you, I mean, this person was trying to solve a problem for me, but they just had no understanding. So it comes from a really nice place. So you can't say to them, fuck off, that pisses me off. Yeah. But what's funny is it reminds yeah. me, I think that's a human thing. We're always trying to connect. And it reminds me, of course, what is it, Carrie? Of grief. <laughs> because when... I'm going to get a little bell. Drinking game. Yeah, a drinking game. That's it. You can't do that yet. Because... When you said that shorthand of new mums, yeah. it's like, oh, you get it. I don't, you're not going to say, and the same with grief or people like in breakups, you're looking for that person like, this just happened to me. You get it, right? I don't have to explain well, to you why. There's definitely a thing. Both my parents are alive. There's definitely a thing with people who have lost a parent that the only people Oh God, the, the insensitive yes. things people yes. say when, when both their parents are alive. Like, yeah. I think I'd be fine when my parents died. Do you? <laughs> yeah. But again, it's just, I think human beings are insensitive. And I, like, that's or, why I tell just story about my brother. Uh, uh, I was yeah. insensitive. Our, we have a limit to our imaginations yeah. and our empathy, but we don't think we do. Yeah. We think and, we can feel everything. And on the reverse, I know it's not it's not really the same. It's like not weighted, <laughs> but like I get a lot of, like I get some of my friends being quite short with me and yeah, being like, yeah, it's I'm easy sure. for you. Yeah, And it's course. like, well, yeah, it kind of is. But what do they mean is easy for you? Like, kind of, bitter, is, kind of bitterness of like, it's, jealousy, it's, it's easy it's for jealousy. you, you have way more time or, yeah. or, um, or, you know, all writer friends who are like, well, it's easy for you, I don't have time. And it's mm. like, but there is an elephant in the room, which is like, 
there is an element of choice though mm. like yeah and also but human beings should never be going around telling other people <clears throat> their experience of life is easier like isn't that like rule number one and i don't think it's easy because lack of time it's not like it's not like it's easier for you you just have more time I but have that doesn't mean it's way easier. more time like the caveat like when people are like oh you've written a lot i'm like yeah because i don't go to the gym and i don't have kids but also <laughs> when i had more time I yeah, still did as much faffing more. as I do now. Yeah. Like, so that's what is interesting to me. I thought, oh, well, once I become a mother, I'll, I'll sort my life out. I didn't. So it's like, you're still yourself. It's like you always say to me, once you're famous, you're still you. <laughs> like, yes. Once you're a mum, you are still you as a mum. Once you're not, if you choose not to, you're still you. And it's like, what you do with that time is the choice. Yes. I don't and think also, it's And also, Smith writes amazingly about that, by yeah, the way. You like, just, you just creativity got, be- got better when she became a mum. Lots of people find that with restrictions. And also vice versa, we still must celebrate the people who use their time really well and write whether they've got children or not. Yeah. Um, my ex-boyfriend, and we were together when he came to the realisation he didn't want children, and it was because his best friend had children and, well, had, had a baby first, you know, and um, the hugest thing he kept saying, he, he doesn't have time, and the mm. realisation was he couldn't do that with his life and didn't want to, didn't want mm. to offer it. Yeah. That is an important thing with female friendships and those who choose to have kids have kids or those who can't have kids to under like you said to just understand again there's no hierarchy it's just different i do think though that my life is easier at the moment i i no i won't have it with them i'm like i want to like go on the record to be like sometimes i'm just like they're in a they're struggling actually and that's a cry for help it's not like them trying to push me away and sometimes we we talk about it about how like there are different seasons in life Mm -hmm. and they're in a season of motherhood and that doesn't mean they're going to be they're not going to be incredibly creative like once mm. the child grows up a but bit, i don't want like you that. to have to be defensive of your position because i feel like so that's if that's true of you now that's really great but there'll be other people who are child free by choice who might not be having a great time for yeah. a multitude of reasons and we can't just have this sweeping stroke yeah of, yeah well totally. you don't get woken up in the night by a baby so you know you're in a and privileged position yeah have had a baby and aren't are oh, just be unhappy yeah. or mothers who are like this is the only thing i've ever wanted and, and yeah. find it easy yeah yeah, totally. yeah. yeah and you know right. that's what's the joy of the playground is you're suddenly with these people that you have a shorthand with but you realize you're so fucking different to every one of them mm. and even though like you're all mothers and you could all have a good confident conversation about whether that ot bar is better than that ot bar that actually what makes you happy i've seen women who are just you can see their their cup is filled because they have had children. That is all they needed. And others who are like, it has destroyed me. <laughs> like mm. we're humans, we're individuals. And again, and again, this, that's the thing mm-hmm. about going back to it being a gamble. Mm. Yeah, you cannot you never predict know. what will happen to you hormonally. You don't know what your birth will be like. Yeah. You don't know how you'll be affected by all the hormones of milk coming in. All of these kind of and things. And then they get older. And, and there's a and, whole other and world. And the health of your child. Yeah. These are all variables. And that's what I think is so amazing yes. about that Alina storyline of hold as a reader you're holding Alina's hand in this such a vulnerable state of like this baby was a miracle and now the worst the the worst thing imaginable she thought would be not Mm. having a child and now this has come and she says that amazing thing at the end when she kind of reaches a calm and acceptance with it that Innes has taught them things that they Mm. never could have understood and it's very beautiful how they write about Innes at the end mm. Inez suffers fits yes. as her brain is growing neuron connections from the physio it then ups the likelihood that she'll have these fits and with the fits she loses the abilities she's got through the physio so there's a point where you think that oh, I this found is heartbreaking this is the end yeah. for her 
but we end the book, the book at a point where it's actually very positive yeah. and she's not stable but she's improving she's learning how to do things she seems more robust yeah. all of a sudden and she's wearing her little purple glasses oh, I that couldn't image. cope yeah. with that image yeah. I know and she's I really sitting fell in love with this little baby yeah. during this book you yes. just want to squidge her yeah, yeah. she I, got such a sense of a baby who every other character was saying has no life is not important but you fell in as well, life yeah what she writes so well is how Alina it I mean and and to a lesser extent her husband she was their child her face her little hands everything about her she was so loved before she was even born so she she was so real to us Mm. she was we're coming up Yes, I was going to say, have you read Patricia Lockwood's book? Um, I haven't read this. You one, haven't no. read this one. It's just another one. Um, it's about her sister's childhood. So, uh, why are we not talking about this? No, I've got a copy of have that. I've got a copy of it. I didn't know it was about that actually. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's again very different book to this, but in terms of yeah, all of that love for mm. a baby. Oh, I'll read that. Yeah, I mean, you will will cry. (laughs) We're recommending some really tough books. But sometimes... (laughs) I love this book, thank you, because I don't think I would have come across it, so... This is a really... The only reason I picked it up at Hay Festival was (laughs) I saw it so much on Instagram. Did you? I saw quite a few bookie people I follow saying, what a translation, amazing. And it's a Fitzcarraldo edition, so it's got that bright blue cover. And I was at Hay and I was like, oh, that looks like a book that I wouldn't normally pick up, that I'd never heard of that writer so I was very glad. Do you have a last line? I do, I do. And actually, you've read the first half of this passage. Oh. But this is Monica, who's the expert on um, cuckoos. And this is Monica. <laughs> and I think I just thought this was something for us all to think about sometimes in relationship with our own I've mothers. I've got another last line as well. Okay. We'll have two last lines. Yeah, this is, right. this is the second last line. <laughs> They're discussing the parasitic nature mm. of laying your eggs in someone else's nest. And why do the parents, why do the... Why do they bring up this egg? They know, because she's saying, I think they know it's not their egg. Yeah, yeah. But they still choose to. I think there comes a point when all mothers realise this. We have the children that we have, not the ones we imagined we'd have or the ones we'd have liked. And they're the ones we end up having to contend with. It's a two-way journey. We don't choose our parents. We don't choose our children. There are many lessons there. Yeah. (laughs) Both ways, if we choose to learn them. And I just wanted to quote the actual last line because I loved it so much. Don't be nervous. Whatever has to happen will happen. No one gets out of that. Yeah. I love that. That's as the brilliant. Ending. Emma, thank you so thank much. Thank you so, so much, much. I love digging into this topic and I love the nuance and it was just fantastic. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Weirdos Book Club. You can find more about Emma at emmagannon.co.uk and you can follow her on Instagram at emmagannon. Her book, Olive, is available to buy now, as is her new non-fiction book, The Success Myth. Next week's book guest is The Rise by Ian Rankin. My novel Weirdo and Cariad's book You Are Not Alone are both available to purchase now. Thank, Thank you, you for, for reading, reading with us. We like reading we with like you. We like reading with you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Lucy Beaumont. And guess what? I'm Sam Campbell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy our podcast. It's called Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brains. It, we have a podcast and uh, it might be, uh, I probably don't want to sound, um, you know, like I'm bragging, but it's dynamite. It is electric. It's high voltage. And please, we really need you to listen. You don't understand how much we need this. Is it on all the platforms? Oh, it absolutely is. But um, yeah, we, th- this one is coming. This one's out now. Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brands.